Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Craig, and we're going to keep it very quiet so my son doesn't wake up in the recording of this podcast. Joining me as always. Oh, we're not doing this. No, we're not. We're not doing this for the whole podcast. <laughs> Joining me as always are my two co hosts uh, coming to us from the slopes of uh, South Florida. It is Brian Ashlock. Brian, uh, are you ready to pick up where we left off last week and get uh, excoriated by uh, Spurs Twitter? Yeah, I was going to say, since the masses loved it so much, I think we just pick right back up and talk about how everything sucks, and the summer sucks, and we suck, and um, everybody else is wrong. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, sponsors on our Patreon at our, uh, uh, you know, knives and pitchforks tier, you know, where you can really take it out on us. Why are you booing me? I'm right. Exactly. Um, and then coming to us from the depths of skeptical uh, mid-Georgia, it is Ben Daniels. Ben? Are you feeling a little any cheerier this week now that you've been bullied online? Yeah, man. I mean, I you know I was in Spain for a couple weeks, and so I wasn't really on Twitter. I wasn't like plugged into the zeitgeist, and I didn't realize just how badly I read the room. Everybody is so excited about this summer. Did you just and, become uh, a Barcelona fan? Like you just have just developed insane expectations? Yeah, exactly. We just went through the roof. I was like, <laughs> we're not bringing Messi and Neymar back in the same summer. What are we even doing here? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure a club that's run fiscally respons- as fiscally responsibly as Spurs is the club for you, Barcelona fan. Uh, but you're just going to have to make do. Guess not. So last week we, we got into the doom and gloom as we sort of generally addressed our transfer window. Um, I think this week we want to focus in exactly on some of those signings. Um, and then we talk, Again, we talked about some of this last week, but I think we're going to drill in a little bit this time. Uh, let's start with our first signing of the window, which seems like as good a place as any to start. And the one place I think I can guarantee a positive conversation for our listeners. Ivan Perisic uh, joined us on a free transfer, formerly of Inter Milan, a Conte veteran who chose to play with him again, which is always a positive. He is coming in presumably as a wing back on the left-hand side, maybe an attacker. We're not entirely sure, but... Uh, the, the, the smart money seems to be on wing back. Uh, he is older than most of the signings we usually make. I'm sure um, I'm sure the fact that we didn't have to pay a transfer fee helped that go down a little smoother with Daniel Levy. We signed him to a two-year deal. It, it's actually avoiding, I think, one of the big problems with signing an older player is you have to sort of just bake in that you're going to eat some garbage years. And I am pretty confident that for two years we're going to be fine with Ivan Perisic in some form or fashion. Uh, Brian, I mean, what do you what does he bring to Spurs that, make, that I'm presuming makes you excited? But I, I guess I shouldn't presume that. I mean, winning mentality first oh, of all. Oh, that's what he brings to Spurs. Yeah, I mean, as you guys know, um, I think winning mentality is very important. And um, uh, no, I don't know. I mean, you know, look, he he offers um, the ability to play both wing back positions, so he's 
useful, you know, whether it's with rotating or, um, you know, with just dealing with a congested fixture calendar and injuries and whatever. Um, so he's helpful there. Um, but he's, I, I think most importantly, he is not a fullback who's transitioned to wingback. He's a winger that's transitioned to wingback. And, you know, basically his play for the last couple of seasons um, has been very, very good at attacking and, um, you know, also doing the sort of industrious type of defensive work that you expect from uh, a wingback in a Conte system. I don't know that he's like an above average defender or 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 even a good defender. I, I just, you know, Conte continues to play him. So his benefits on the field must outweigh his negatives. Um, and I think he's been um, good in terms of creation of chances and in terms of actually scoring chances. I mean, I think he's got, you know, eight or ten plus goals in each of the last few seasons while he's been playing as a wingback. He's just like better than all the other options we have there. It's it's the one signing we've made. We're like, oh, this is a real upgrade. I mean, he's like unquestionably one of the best wingbacks in the world in terms of attacking prowess. You know, he carries the ball, he creates, he scores. Only question is his age, but he didn't show any signs of slowing down last season. So I think he's going to be just a massive upgrade at that position that's been a struggle for us. Um, And his versatility, like you said, Brian, I think is a huge asset. He can play on the left or the right. He has played across the front line earlier in his career um, and so if we're light on bodies, you know, he can always play somewhere further forward and we can get, you know, minutes for Sessegnon or someone behind him and, like, it, that could happen. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, because we are sit, sitting with Doherty, Royale, Regulon, and Sessegnon right now, we don't really have a good sense of what our outgoings look like. And depending on how that shakes out based on the market, he could play either side and that gives us a lot of flexibility if it turns out nobody wants to buy Regulon for whatever reason and we sell Royale no problem you know we can make do with Perisic on the right and like still have like two two left wing backs if we need to Um, I don't know if it's anybody's first choice you know game plan but like having that option makes it easier um, depending on how how sales shake out, or or how injuries shake out as the season goes right. on, that was a huge problem for us down the stretch last year. Um, you know, having enough healthy bodies on the wing. Yeah, and I, and I think the other thing with him is is Ben did mention his age, but he's someone who I've seen um, people that are a lot smarter than than me discuss that he doesn't have a, a lot of miles on his legs actually, because there was a lot there during kind of the middle portion of his career where he. He just wasn't playing, um, or certainly not playing the the same amount that you would expect. You know, someone who is like Ben said, one of the best wing backs in the world. Um, and so, it, it, you know, I, <laughs> at the risk of sounding like an Arsenal fan in a forum, he's like a young thirty three, <laughs> um, I guess. Like I don't know. Um, I I just don't. He doesn't have um, the minutes like like some of the other players that have gotten that age and 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 you've seen continue to play like you know he's not um you know ronaldo and messi in that regard who just play every minute for their club and every minute for their country and 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 so he does have a little bit of uh i i what i mean is 
I think the two-year contract's not that much of a gamble. I don't think you're looking at, oh, he's got six good months left in his legs, and then we have to patch him through the rest of the season, and then maybe he goes somewhere and we eat a year or whatever. Like, I think that it's a pretty good calculation that he'll be good and better than most of our options for both those years. Yeah, I mean, like, his athleticism still seems pretty good. And I think, barring a major, you know, old man injury, which, you know, could always happen, we should at least get one more season similar to last season out of him. And then if next season he just reverts to that backup role and Sessignon or whoever takes over, like, the first choice, like, that's that's fine. And, you know, given that we have a young guy like Sessignon who has a lot of, like, attacking tools, but, like, maybe not a lot of familiarity with the role and not of a ton of experience, like, great guy to learn from, great guy to, you know, help him figure out his game and, and, and maybe take a, a step. All of the tangibles. And, and I think it was interesting, like, lots of people looked at this transfer and they pointed at it and they said, well, you know, look, this is an example of Spurs doing something they don't usually do. This is, you know, Spurs signing a proven talent, whereas before, usually they signed players that were, you know, developing or whatever. And um, while that's not necessarily untrue, it's just also still like it was like a bargain signing. It was free. Like, I know we're paying him a lot of money in wages, but we didn't just pay somebody 80 million pounds for the, you know, the best striker in the world. We got a guy who's 33 years old and was at the end of his contract and we signed him for free and like so like it still is very much a spurs like in terms of the ethos of the signing so i i just like certainly helps i'm, I'm guessing yeah. that helped daniel levy make peace with it um being right. able to i you know I, oh so that money we would have spent sent to inter milan we can just give to him and that'll just make the spoonful of sugar it's a spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down yeah Yeah, but, so I think we're all pretty uniformly positive that Perisic will bring an immediate impact to this squad in an area of desperate need. Um, and I think, yeah, great business. So I'm going to – we don't need to talk about this as much as we're going to talk about some of the other guys because he's, I think, the one guy we did discuss a little bit in somewhat some detail before my son wanted to chime in last week and add to your chorus of negativity. Uh for Charleston, uh, it's become official since we've signed. It looks like it's $50 million-ish plus add-ons, but they haven't actually published the specifics of the deal. Um, I think he's done a lot. I think since we've talked, uh, we've all like done a lot of reading about Richarlson. And if nothing else, he seems like one of the more likable players we've signed in a very long time. I was, I think we touched on this a little bit last week, but I, and I do genuinely think this is a positive. I think it speaks well of him how sad Everton fans are over losing him. I mean, today, I think there were pictures of him showing up at Everton's training ground to say goodbye. I'm going to guess he had to go to Liverpool to, like, get a couple bags of clothes or something But before he reports the Spurs. But, you know, I, I, again, he seems like a very good dude. And for, you know, type of people where we, we will slag off Lucas Moore for his political um, opinions or um, some of our other players for their misdeeds off the field. I think it's nice. I think we, it shouldn't go without mention that we seem to be signing a really good dude who has said some very seems to be a stand-up guy in terms of how he interacts with the fans. Seems to be a stand-up guy in terms of his social views and responsibilities. I think that's a real positive um, for you know. Again, I, I think sometimes fans get a little carried away with 
being unhappy about players' political views, but it's always nice to get someone who seems like a really genuinely nice guy. I don't want to let that pass without comment. Um, I don't know. If any, do you guys have anything to add to that before we talk about him as a player? I mean, that's really it for me. Like, you know, so we did reading about him. It was not, like, reading about, like, what his game is like. That wasn't, like, really news. The question was, who is Richarlison the man? And that, I think, has given me, you know, a total 180 on the signing that it is nice to have somebody who feels genuinely good to root for. You know, learning about, you know, his background and how, you know, driven he is and how humble he is and how much he seems to care about social causes and doesn't like Bolsonaro. Um, you know, all of those things are, are just, you know, hugely encouraging to see. And, like, it also, like, recasts some of his on-field shenanigans in a new light for me a little bit. Like, you see him acting like kind of like a petulant dick on the field, but it does seem like, you know, you can kind of see that through the lens of a guy who has had to fight every step of the way to get where he is. And it's just, you know, it's like a, he's just a highly competitive guy, not just like a fucking asshole. Who's like, wants to kick the shit out of people. I'm like, it might still be the same, but like, you know, again, it's just it's some extra color that makes me feel better about some of those things. Here's the thing about that, about his on-the-field antics, which as we, this is a good transition, as we're known for doing on Wheel Dealer Radio. Um, look, I said some very unkind things about Charleston. I mean, you can go back and listen to our Everton game. I got a lot of joy out of Romero kicking the shit out of him in that game. But he's, I love, Eric Lamella is like my favorite Spurs player. Like, I, I am fully, and I, I would like to think I would have said this back then if you told me you were going to sign him this summer, like, He's that kind of a player, and that kind of a player is someone you hate when he's on another team and you love when he's on yours. I don't think that is going to be a problem for us and how we feel about our Charleston and Spurs fans. Like, I think, you know... I love a shithouse. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's some argument about sportsmanship, but I'm not really interested in hearing that argument. Like, I I loved Eric Lavella a lot, and Eric Lavella is incredible. Like, the way he got... Marshall sent off against United is the most unsportsmanlike thing you could possibly see in a soccer match. Like, just utter shithousery, completely cheating. Like, and it worked, and it's great, but I don't care because Martial's on the other team and he wasn't actually, like, breaking his leg. I mean, look, he laid hands on him. He put his hands on his face. I mean, that's it's black and white. I don't think, you know, look, all Eric did was call a little bit of attention to it, but, like, I mean,. What's wrong with that? So, I, I don't think the shithousery yeah. is, is a real problem with Richarlison. I mean, other people may have a problem with it. I don't know. I, I don't. I watch Pochettino Spurs. Like, we certainly had enough of that in our house. I think um, something that I was alluding to last week when I was talking about, you know, this is Spurs trying something different at striker, uh, or as a backup striker, where they're spending real money on an established, proven quantity, who's more or less in his, I mean, he's in his prime. Um you know, uh, Nathan Clark, on, on the extra, our friend on the extra inch, he zeroed in on something that I think I hadn't fully articulated, but I do think is real, that, you know, one thing where Charleston brings with him is pedigree. And, you know, I mean, this is a, a guy, I think, who is widely regarded as a good striker in the Premier League, and I think this is someone, rightly or wrongly, that Harry Kane and, to a lesser extent, Antonio Conte are going to be much more comfortable taking minutes from him than they would be with, like, you know, our latest, like, 20-year-old Dutch kid. Which, you know, that's... Putting aside right or wrong, I think it's true. I think Richarlson does bring 
a certain pedigree that makes him more useful or more likely to be used as a substitute or even just, you know, a rotation option in terms of, like, resting Kane or Son occasionally. Um, and I think that you pair that with the fact that, you know, he is an established striker who I do think, unlike some, you know, maybe like a Steven Bergvine, we don't have to change the way we play as much. Now, maybe that's something you think the team should figure out, but I think Richarlson is sort of within that ballpark of the skill sets of particularly Son and to a lesser extent Kane that, you know, he really does, I, I think he might get used more between those two things. And, you know, that's maybe not how it should be, but it's, I think it's how it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's correct. Um, and, you know, I think the number of times he played as a center forward for uh, Everton was, I think, probably less than I, I recall, cause, just because it seems like Calvert-Lewin spent a lot of the last two seasons out injured. But I guess they were also using, like, weird guys like... Damari Gray and yeah, know, whoever. Um, well, with like Cenk Tosin or something. I don't know. Like I, they, no. no, I don't know. Stephen uh, Pinar. So, so, Solomon Rondon, maybe. Um, while Rafa was there, I don't know. Um, Name redacted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, he definitely didn't play striker. He doesn't know. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, so I, I, I don't have a clear grasp on his ability to do that in the Premier League. Now, he does play as Brazil's number nine, and like I think he's got, like what, like 30, 34 appearances for them and 14 goals. So that's you, know like, doesn't, you know who doesn't play as Brazil's number nine? Gabriel Jesus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and actually would prefer to be played on the wing. Um, <laughs> and probably the right wing, honestly. Um, oh, Brian. Uh, sorry. No, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> um... But yeah, so I, I think him being Premier League experienced first and foremost is significant. It's we know he can hack it in this league. And we should but say ex- we should say when we say Premier League experience, we're not talking about how like you know he played on the wing for Bournemouth or something. I mean, he has succeeded in the Premier League, which I think is the real difference there. I mean, his teams haven't really succeeded. No, but like, he's he been a but prolific. He has been reasonably yes. good. Yes, like. You know, like the people that make the jokes on Twitter that are like, oh, we're, you're signing players from Everton and we're signing players from, you know, wherever else. Like, okay, man, as though some bad player never played for a shitty team at any point in their career. Like, if you're good, they, you just they, play they for... They played for Southampton. We can pull guys, you know, other yeah. pull guys on our team off of shitty teams. You yeah. know, so uh, I, I think that's stupid. Um, but yeah, he, he you are right to the extent of he understands, you know the pressure that the Premier League has that's inherent in it. He understands playing in intense rivalry games. I feel like he kind of usually played pretty well against Liverpool. I'm happy to be um, shown to be wrong on that, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, like, I, I think that he is the type of player, and, and we talked about this uh, on the last show, he's, he's the type of player that this squad needs. He doesn't, like, excite me, but, you know, he's going to be useful for us. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you're making attacking signings, guys like Kulishevsky or Bergvine are the kind of template that we're very used to and get very excited about because 
you know, it's that old, you know, a boat could be anything, but the mystery box, or a boat's <laughs> a boat, but a mystery box could be anything. It could be a boat. Um, you know, you hope that this guy that you get who's a little raw is going to develop into something special the way that, like, Hungman's son blossomed into, you know, such a phenomenal player. Kulishevsky, like... Right, exactly. And, like, Richarlison, I think, doesn't have that kind of upside where it's like he's going to transform into a butterfly. Um, he's just going to be Richarlison on a better team, and, like, that's pretty good. And, you know, I don't... I don't want to understand the possibility that maybe he goes up such a significant degree um, that I'm eating my words in a year or two. Like, that's possible. But, like, generally speaking, he's, like, a bit of a known quantity. And I think there's some less excitement, for me at least, about a guy like that. But I think the flip side is he's not going to do a Vincent Janssen. He's not going to be a, a Bergvine who just isn't quite good enough and we can't rely on him and we run our guys into the ground because the backup is just not there yet. You know, he's not Brian Heal, who we have to loan out halfway through the season because, you know, he doesn't really do anything. And so, yeah, like, that's a good kind of guy to buy. I would like to also buy some young 20-year-old with a lot of promise and, like, dump Lucas and, you know, just round out that attack with some more upside to start building towards the future. But focusing on Richarlison, he brings again, a pretty tangible, immediate impact to the team, and that's worth it something. And I think one of the things that I guess intrigues me most about what his growth potential is, is what you mentioned there, Ben, was like, what's he like playing with some better players? Because, I mean, Everton have been horrible for the last couple of seasons, at least. And, you know, they've been kind of tactically weirdly inept for four seasons five i mean going back to post david moyes basically I mean, right who's the best pa- who's the best player putting passes in his field is it name redacted is there i mean i'm, I'm trying to think of who he's i mean, I mean he's had awful service yeah, andre gomez yeah right yeah i, I you know so I, and i mean you know, Calvert Lewin has has shown himself to be a pretty good Premier League striker, um, but he one hasn't been healthy for most of the last season and a half, and and two, uh, he's still not on the same level as Harry Kane and Hungman Son, and and so you know, I will will be interested to see you know what kind of partnership does he form with them, you know, because we really got spoiled with Kulisevsky coming in and playing the way he did, you know, basically in the second ever game he played for Spurs, you know. So, like, can Richarlison find that sort of uh, rapport with the other guys? Can he figure out the movement of the of Conte's systems? Can he, you know, can he adapt to playing with better players? I think yes is the answer to that. And then, you know, what does that look like for him? Does that mean more goals does that mean more assists does that mean more shithousery like yes i, I don't yeah i mean hopefully yes um but I, i'm very interested to see that ben last week you talked you were talking about depth and like one of the problems for had in the past is sort of like buying the backup to harry kane and expecting them to be settled on being his backup and that just leading to problems in terms of getting subpar performances from subpar players now i think richarlson probably understands his place in the pecking order to say Harry Kane and even Son to an ex- I would imagine, but 
you know, this is a guy who's probably not going to be happy to sit behind Kuliszewski, even if I think all of us would agree he should be sitting behind Kuliszewski. I mean, this is that kind of starting quality player who we haven't always bought for this kind of a role. I mean, I understand that, like, 50% of American white people and 100% of British white people don't understand how to use this phrase, but I think it actually describes what Charleston is. Like, he got that dog in him. I mean, he's... He's going to want to fight for a starting role. And when you put him in the game, I mean, I think he's going to go... Like, I think he ha- he's that type of player where he fights and scratches and, and you know, sometimes literally. Um, but, you know, I think he's... Uh, that's what excites me about him. He's a different type of player. You know, if we were... You know, I think I'd be happy if we never got a Kuliszewski. If we were buying him to sort of round out an attacking third, and we don't need to get in how that would break down tactically. But, you know, I wouldn't be unhappy with that. But he's the kind of guy, like, you know... I know a few weeks ago, Ben, you and I were talking about it when you said you weren't thrilled with his signing, but, like, this is like, and I know they're different players, and I would probably admit this player I'm about to talk about is better than Richard. I mean, he is better than Richardson, but this is like when City went out and got Mares. Like, they didn't need Mares. Like, that is, he was completely superfluous to requirements up there. But they went and got more depth. It was, an, it was a starting quality attacking player. They could stick on their bench and work into their rotation, and I understand... Pep is a maniac of rotation. But that's what this feels like to me. I, a lot of Spurs reporters have talked about how this feels like a very big club move, the kind of thing that like Chelsea and, and, and City and maybe a functional United would do. And it is very different from what Spurs have usually done. I know we're very accustomed to we, we only spend this kind of money on guys who are nailed on starters. But I really like this, and I really like his mentality because I think it does buck that trend that you were talking about last week. Yeah, and I, you know, I think... You know, I've highlighted some of what I'm concerned about with with that kind of move, but I think you're right. Being willing to drop 50 million pounds on a ro- rotation backup guy because Conte wants him because he can bring something to the team immediately, um, you know, is a statement of intent. And the fact that we've got business done as early as we have, I think, you know, is I think a thing that's exciting a lot of people. Whatever you think of Richarlison's ability. Um, if you share my skepticism or not, having him here now to start betting in and getting on a wavelength with everybody else is the best possible way to get a guy like that. Um, and yeah, and I mean, and to your point, and this is something you know the, the reading revealed about who Richarlison is as a person is like you definitely get the sense that he has clawed his way every step of his career and fought for, you know moving to better clubs and getting recognized in Brazil and getting a transfer to the Premier League and getting out of Watford and, you know, he is <laughs> fighting his way to Brazil number nine. Uh, you, do you, you know, think, do you think getting... Richarlson could play for the D-line at Georgia, Ben? I, I think he could. I think I think he's got that drive. <laughs> uh, he's a little small. <laughs> <laughs> a little tiny bit. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know... I, He's not a Kuliszewski, and we are a little thin on Kuliszewski-like players. Um, he is much more Sun-like than Kuliszewski-like. He's not a particularly strong passer. He doesn't have that cane, you know, ability in his locker. So, you know, I don't know how good a front three of Kane, Sun, and Richarlison will be. Um, you know, we talked a lot about Kuliszewski's ability to, like, kind of glue that attack together. Um, and... and but we might never see yeah, that. This I mean, he might just be there so Sung can get rest, so Kane can get rest, so we have a... Yeah. yeah. Right. And this is where missing out on Christian Eriksen, I think, hurts a little bit, and I'm 
we'll wait to see what we do to address um, that that spot because it seems like we're looking. So, so I want to talk about our next biggest signing after those two. Um, I, there's obviously two areas of discussion on him. I want to focus on uh, the on-the-field aspect first before we move to the off-the-field aspect. That is, uh, I believe we settled his name was Yves Basuma last week. We, we all we all agreed on Yves Basuma. Um, so uh, Basuma, who we bought from Brighton for about 30 million pounds or 29 million pounds, whatever it was, which uh, I think we basically paid for with, uh, it's not official official, but it looks like that's about what we're selling uh, Stephen Bergwijn back to, or not back, but uh, to Ajax for. Um, I am very positive about this signing as a, um, if we're just focusing on on the field, which is, again, what we're talking about right now. He is, he passes the most important metric by which I judge players which is how have they played against Spurs. And holy shit, I'm glad at a minimum we don't have to play this guy anymore because he kills us every single time we play him. I think he, again, we, we've talked about this before, Conte right now, if you look at the sort of four midfielders we're likely to be using next year, they're all kind of samey. They have some differences, but they're all built from the same mold. I think Basuma is the most dynamic of those four. I think he offers a lot going forward. I think he offers a lot in defense. I think he's an incredibly impressive player, and I think, Ben, you were talking about Richarlison and how we sort of know what this player is. Yeah, there'll be a bump now that he's not playing with a bunch of humps up at Liverpool, but, you know, like, we know who he is. I think is the guy who, I don't know if it's going to be a quantum leap, but I think that's the guy who we're going to see jump a little bit because he has looked, I think, enormously impressive at Brighton, and I think... He's, you know, you stick him in a good team, I think you're going to see some real differences. And I'm, I know he's a little probably older than he is in my, in reality, than he is in my brain, but, you know, I don't know. He's just, I feel like he's coming up in a way that Richarlison maybe, maybe that's just a product that Richarlison plays for the, uh, he's played at Everton, which feels like a bigger club, and he plays for Brazil, but I feel like we're still on the upward trajectory of Basuma's path. Um yeah, I mean, he's about to be 26. He's been at Brighton for four years, but the first two seasons were very spotty in terms of his minutes. Um, it was very unclear why he wasn't being used, because he was clearly good. Um, but yeah, so the last two seasons is when he's finally like shown out in a way that people were expecting him to when Brighton somehow secured him from France in the first place. Um, Brian, you, you like French stuff. Yeah, how do you what feel do you about you? Know, um... Well, I mean, he he played for uh, um, Lille. I recall that. Yes. Uh, no. Um, if I remember correctly, like he moved to Brighton, kind of around the same time that um, Leicester were looking for a defensive midfielder. I don't know if it was to replace Conte necessarily. I think it was to replace Conte. That sounds about right. Um, or, or if it was the season after Conte had moved to Chelsea and they, they, they needed something there. And he was really, really heavily linked with a move there that never materialized. And, and then he went to, to Brighton. Um, but he was basically, you know, at... Uh, he would have been, what, you know, 20, 21, 22 uh, during his spell there uh, at Lille. And um, he was one of the best defensive midfielders in the league at that age. Um, and, and like Ben said, it was kind of confusing why he then 
just didn't play more regularly at Brighton. But um, I, I think the thing about him is, is his role has kind of evolved um, a lot from where he was in France to where he is now, um, where he was kind of in France and, and originally under Potter at Brighton, kind of this all-action midfielder moving all over the place, breaking stuff up. And last year... Brighton switches to a three-man midfield, and he now plays at the base of that midfield, uh, shielding in front of the back line, and he has does not have to be as dynamic in terms of being everywhere and breaking up play. And and I think that is really where he excelled. Um, so I'm interested to see how that translates to playing under Conte, who does not use a three-man midfield. Um, but but he's he's definitely, you know, a very talented player. Well, it's interesting because we seem to have two midfielders who, and maybe three if you want to throw a skip in here, but two midfielders who people are very sort of like getting forward curious, for lack of a better term, and that like Hoybier, like we've seen with Denmark, where he does really interesting things going forward. Even at the end of the year, he made some really nice passes that I didn't think he could make um, for us. And now Basuma, where, you know, you would imagine, I think Bentoncourt is generally a little more conservative, and I would guess that Skip's going to be, just by virtue of his age and how Conte will want to use him, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm very excited to see what Basuma can do in this team this year. I, I think we saw what happened when he got forward against us. I mean, he did that in, I think, a little bit in the FA Cup game and a little bit more in the, um, the game we lost to them, or Drew, I can't remember what it was, but... Yeah, he's just such a. I'm always impressed whenever I see Brighton play. I, mean, I generally, I'm much more of a Brighton skeptic than all of my Spurs supporting friends that I talk to all the time because I think Graham Potter is a glorified guides counselor. But I'm always do come away very impressed with Basuma when I watch a Brighton game. Yeah, I mean he's good, and I think you know we have, like you said earlier, we have four midfielders who are all pretty samey. You know, Bencore and Hoybier are both. Pretty good defensively, pretty good on the ball. You know, neither of them are, like, super lockdown defensive midfielders, and neither of them are Luka Modric. Um, and, you know, we get away with that kind of midfield, but we definitely felt Skip's absence and just having a guy who was a little more defensively focused and a guy who is, you know, capable of being a little more all-action. Um, and I think Basuma is that guy who will be able to anchor a partnership with any of the other three pretty well. You know, maybe he and Skip, maybe Skip will be his understudy um, and they won't play together a ton. But, you know, I, I honestly, I don't know what our first choice midfield is going to look like if we have a first choice midfield. But Basuma will probably be there more often than not. But it's, um, he's a guy kind of lets everybody else cook a little bit more. Well, and in the same way that, you know, Richarlison signing is good for depth because it allows you to rotate the team and still play what looks like a functional attack, you know, having four midfielders of, you know, Hoiberg, Bentinker, Skip, and uh, and Basuma, you can throw any four of those out there in pretty much any game against pretty much any team, and I am fine with it. You know, in in a way where, you know, in the past, if you saw Harry Winks in the midfield, you're like, oh, we're losing this game. You know, I, I, I'm not going to feel that way about whatever the combination, whatever the rotation pattern, the partnership is. 
I think you you know soccer is a weak link sport, and if you eliminate another weak link, uh, I, that's great. And I don't know how much he's going to play. I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's better than Hoiberg and Bentenker. I think that's a pr- that worked out to be a pretty good combination. Maybe he is, and maybe I'll look like an idiot in six months for having had questions about it. But you know, I I, I think he's at least on the same level of these guys who are proven Premier League and prem- proven international players. And it'll be fine. Uh, I think I, it probably has more, less of like the passing range that we've seen out of those guys. Yeah. But I think in terms of his like a defensive ability, he seems a I clear think, upgrade. I think he's a little bit better on the ball going forward, wouldn't you say? Or at least like dynamic. He's he's pretty press resistant. Like he can you know shake a guy and move the ball, but like he's not hitting like a thirty yard diagonal. No, but he I does mean, like. Carrying he'll, the like, ball and not forward, getting pressed. Yeah. yeah, and he'll, like, run forward and, like, take a bad shot from the top of the box and score, like, one a season. Um, you know, he does – he's not just a guy who's just, like, sweeps up behind things. He has more. But I'm just, like, comparing the two – like, the, the three players, I think, where the – you know, where their radars probably lean is, I think, in those directions. Um, I think, like Brian said, the most important thing is that means – even we don't get rid of Harry Winks, we're extremely unlikely to see Harry Winks. And that is such a bonus that it doesn't even really matter how good he is. We, as long as he's not that bad, that's a huge, huge game. But I think that's where I'm really excited about, about a guy like Basuma. Cause think about it. You, you know, he can shake a man, get forward and he's taking a shot from the top of the box. Well, now he's playing with players. who might actually, you know, score a goal. So, you know, I think that's what I really like about it. I think he's gonna. I'm, I'm really curious to see what he does on a like just quant. You know, he's taking a quantum leap in terms of levels here, um, in terms of what Brighton can do and what Spurs can do. And I think when he gets forward, he's just gonna have so many more options than he had at Brighton. And I'm just, I'm just really excited to see what what happens with that because you would imagine that's gonna, if not unlock options in his game, just like sort of okay, he's broken the press, he's gotten forward. Now he's got like you know Harry Kane's up here. Or he can pass it to Kane. Or he can hit Son. You know, I think that opens up a lot of opportunities in a way that I'm excited to see how he sort of you know reacts to it. And he's going to be really fresh for the second half of the season because he's not playing in the World Cup. So that's also important. Uh, yeah, I think now because we, we we were on break, so we've never really addressed it. But he was there's some off field issues surrounding Basuma, um, as I'm sure all of our listeners are aware. He was. Oh, was he? I don't think he was, he was arrested. I believe is the term um, in, in connection with a sexual assault in a nightclub in Brighton last October. Uh, he was never charged. Someone please correct me if I'm speaking out of turn here. He was never charged, but he was sort of being he, he was being investigated by the police. He was recently there's the police. He's no longer a figure of interest. I think is the way they put it. He's no longer in right. He was released. He was out on bail for a while, and then they brought him back for a bail hearing and the other guy he was arrested with stayed um, released on bail and he was released under his own recognizance as a person of interest and then that went away and is now no longer being investigated as part of so uh, the assault so there's a few things going on here uh, I think we are all reasonably certain that when Spurs signed him they were probably through some means reasonably confident that he was not going to jail um, 
this is a sticky issue to talk about in part because I, I think speaking as Americans, the way that this is stuff is reported on in England seems vaguely insane to me. Um, because of the libel laws, basically people have connected the dots that Basuma was arrested in connection with this and they won't talk about it other than that because of the way their libel laws work. Speaking as an American sports fan, um, just to give you guys a sample if you're an English listener, um, I'm a Ravens fan, which is an American football team. In 2000, in the early 2000s, the Ravens star player, Ray, a guy named Ray Lewis, was arrested for, in connection to a murder in Atlanta. We knew all the details about this. Like it was pretty clear that he was on the scene and you know either knew the guys involved or was getting rolled as a witness, but. We knew so much, and this is this is before the like Twitter and all that. We knew so much about what happened. We had a pretty good shape, like you know, oh, he's arrested for this. They're charging him with obstruction of justice. He wasn't involved in the murder, but they think he was. Or he didn't like you know. We know he didn't kill someone, but we know he was involved. And the question is how much. When this stuff happens in American sports, we generally, and you guys can dispute me if you think I'm wrong about this. I think we generally have at least like a vague idea of like what we're talking about and what happened. We have no idea um, when you're looking at a case like this um, with the libel laws in England. I think you can make assumptions. You know, you look at like what happened to a guy like Mendy at City and the, how he was charged, and you can maybe draw the conclusion that it wasn't as severe, but because no one will talk about it and we're probably not going to learn anything about this until maybe the other guy is charged or convicted um, in this case... We just have absolutely no idea what happened. Um, obviously, sexual assault cases are frequently underreported and definitely underpunished by the justice system. So the fact that he was, um, the police are no longer investigating, it could mean that he didn't do anything. I hope that's what it means. It could mean they didn't have enough evidence to pin anything on him. It could mean they were trying to roll him as a witness and they didn't have enough to do it. Uh, you know, I have no idea, and that is what is very bizarre to me as an American. Generally, you're able to form, you're able to get some sense of what happened. Um, obviously, you know, if unless you're there, you don't know. Um, but we have no idea, and it's worth before this goes any further because I should have said this begin. Obviously, the the worst part of this is for whoever was the aggrieved party here, whoever was the victim. Um, you know, we obviously hope that they are doing okay and. Seeing all this dredge up in the news isn't making this any worse for them than um, it has to be, although it probably is. So, um, I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, who wants to take it from there? I'll, I'll, I'll go because I don't think I have anything, like, of, of real value <laughs> to add. And I'm sure Ben has much more important thoughts, and I hate when you come to me last and I go, uh-huh, yep. And then we just end on that note. Um, look, you know... I, Speaking as someone who works in the American legal system, albeit not in the, the criminal system, like stuff like this is just always weird, uh, and and it's 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 complicated even further by, like you said, the 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 laws in England relating to libel, and and I think we all have to come to grips with the fact that I don't think we'll ever know. I regardless of what the the outcome of the investigation and uh, potential conviction of this other person is, I don't think we're ever going to know the full details of why Basuma was under investigation for so long or a person of interest or ultimately then, you know, 
not under investigation. I just, I just, I don't think we'll know. And I think that's probably good enough for a lot of fans. Um, and I think it's probably good enough for a lot of people to look the other way or sweep it under the rug. Um, and, and maybe that's how it has to be. Um, cause it would get really exhausting to have to talk about him like this every time we wanted to talk about him. Uh, but I don't know. We'll just never know. And maybe he's a good football player, but I don't know that I'm ever going to like him. Um, and that's just how I feel about it. Ben? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, you know, you brought up Mendy. We've got just so many cases recently. You know, we've got Mendy and Mason Greenwood, who, again, has had some pretty incontrovertible evidence come out around the time. Like, we knew pretty clearly what was going on there. And there's still rumors that he might be back in the team um, for this season. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo has admitted to it, and those, those documents of his admission were leaked. And, you know, we've seen him play for years with that hanging over his head. And now the legal system in America just kicked the case because they decided, you know, the it was too tainted by this um, illegally secured admission. And it's like, we don't care that there's an admission. Yeah, I can think of one, I can think of a single major European reporter who talks about this at all. And that's Gab Marcotti, who is... Like spent a lot of time in America, so. Right, I'm just saying, like, even in the case where we have like a, an admission, we're still not prosecuting because of the fucking nonsense of the legal system. Um, and again, nobody talks about it, nobody cares. Like we've we've had, and then again this week, um, a player in North London who is heavily rumored to be a certain midfielder on Arsenal, um, you know, has just dredged this up. So it's like there's a lot of instances of this happening very very recently and not a lot of good outcomes for how anybody talks about it how anybody processes it and how anybody knows how to feel about being a fan when this happens um and you know i think greg you probably said all that needs to be said about what happened and what we're going to know you know there's a lot of reasons for every step of this uh saga to have happened the way it did and unless he like gives testimony as a witness in this other guy's trial Like you said, we'll probably never know anything. The thing that I think is really hard about this is what what we know and don't know doesn't really matter. It's at the time we signed him, we knew he was under investigation for sexual assault. And that is something that you would like to see your club handle with some kind of respect. And like, yes, you know, he may not have done anything wrong and that maybe he I'm not saying he deserves to have his career ruined over a false accusation or just being caught up in the wrong place at the wrong time for something he didn't do. That's obviously a component here that I'm not advocating for. But knowing that that was all hanging over Basuma, the club did not take any steps and probably couldn't take any steps legally to, like, put anybody's minds at ease. And so it just feels like a very crass disregard for something that many fans in their own lives have experience with and have no way to read anything into this because we don't have information other than a feeling of this feels fucked up and gross because you know we're seeming to give this guy a pass because he's good at football and even if it's not the case even if he's 100 percent isn't that feeling doesn't go away and that that problem 
cloud over the signing is you just can't really shake it. Um, and the way fans were just so quick to like play amateur detective, amateur lawyer to forgive him as yeah. soon as we signed him was just incredibly crass. And to see Some those fans, it should be clear there was yeah, not everybody, yeah, but like yeah. the Venn diagram of fans who were like immediately forgiving Basuma when we signed him and we're like using the party rumors as bants against Arsenal is probably a perfect circle Venn diagram. And, you know, whatever the facts are bringing something as serious as rape and sexual assault into the sphere of fandom and, and, you know, the way you're going to banter off another club or the way your tribalism lets you look at someone's transgressions on your team in a way that you would look differently at somebody else's team is just, it's just fucked up. And like, there are way more important things than your soccer team. And like so many people forget that or don't care about that. And like, that's what just sucks so much about all of this. And it's, it's hard. Cause I, I did that when I was setting this conversation up where I, or I did some of that, where I, I talk, I, I use Mendy as an example, which is on some level how I came to terms with it a little bit. Cause you can see how differently those cases were treated, but you know, you look at, because you're absolutely right, Ben. Like there are things that are more important here. That, that you know, it's not about your soccer team. It's it's you look at the, the position Spurs are in or what they decide to do. I first of all don't think we got a discount because of what was hanging over him. If Spurs could figure out that he wasn't going to jail, any club could have figured out he wasn't going to jail. I think I, I don't know exactly how that happened, but I don't think we're that clever. Um, so I think this is probably a product of we've had long-term injury. I mean, we've been linked with him in previous transfer windows. I think this is something that, you know, has been going on for a while. I don't think we got a discount on him because of the a- accusations around him. But at the same time, there's this, like, let's say you're Spurs. Let's say you're 100% confident. Basuma didn't do this. He's fine. We're convinced. It's not just, like, I, I think probably Spurs stopped caring at the moment. They knew he wasn't going to jail or there wasn't an embarrassing enough story out there. That's probably what I... It sucks, but I think that's probably where Spurs' interest ends. Let's say it isn't. Let's say they know he's not going to jail. They can't say anything when they sign him because of the weird British libel laws. Fine. They should have said something when, you know... When the, when the charges were dismissed, we are... Like, this is why we signed him. We were confident they would be dismissed. We da, 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 da. Even if nothing else, you got to say something to your fans. Because like, it is uncomfortable. Because there are fans who are affected by this. And it's not... You know... Again, and that probably wouldn't have answered any of the questions we had. I want to be very clear about that. That wouldn't have answered the concerns of Spurs fans or football fans who have been affected by sexual assault. Who, you know, don't want to see something like this. Who just find this distasteful. But at least it shows you give a shit. And, you know, I understand that's probably not as simple as I'm making it sound, given the, the sort of complexities of the British legal system, but an effort would have been appreciated. And, you know, and it sucks because we just have, we have no clue what happened here. And like Brian said, we probably will never have any clue that happened here. And I think some sort of effort by the club to address that would not have gone on a pre it might it might have gone unappreciated. They still should have done it. You know, if they if they, if that's what they think, if they think that this guy is innocent, that this guy is fine, you know, then they should have put that out there. You right. know what I mean? Signal that you care yes. and take the yes. accusations now, seriously. And I understand that's difficult. And you know, maybe you can't do it before 
you know, the, they dismiss those charges. Maybe you got to wait a week. I don't know. That might be unrealistic in terms of, you know, actually closing this deal and the realities of modern football. But at least, like, when the charges are dismissed, like, like you said, Ben, put it out there. Make it clear this is what you think, this is what we believe. Um, you know, I don't know. I would hope they're not just covering their ass here or beyond the fact that they just can't talk. You know, because I do think this is the kind of signing we all would have been very excited about. I think I think we all would have been over the moon about the signing if this thing had never happened. And obviously you can't, you know, we can't go back in time. We can't ignore it. I think he's going to be a really good player for Spurs. I hope that we get enough clarity to understand that, you know, this is not, that he was not guilty of this. This was, this was not something that, you know, we have to worry about. But I think Brian's right. I think we're never going to know. And I think there's always going to be a little bit of a, I don't think we're going to talk about it every time we talk about this guy because I think that'll just be exhausting. But it's going to take a little bit of the shine off of it, and I think that's a shame. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think there's a good way to move on from that, so we're just going to do it. Um, does, does anyone else have anything else to say about this before we move on? I don't want to cut anyone off. Yeah, no. I mean, I think all I'd say is when we're talking about how good our signings are for the window like that's part of it you know as much as Richarlison's off the field stuff makes me feel better about him as a person the Basuma stuff makes me feel worse about him as a person and like you know that just hurts the goodwill of the team especially when a team is feeling so so cohesive and so lovable lately it's just it's just tough well and it just sucks to me that like because there is we should acknowledge this there is a possibility he did nothing wrong and that they're not I would feel, I don't know how much better I'd feel, because I'm not sure I believe it. I'd feel a little bit better if the club was sort of, like, nailing their colors to that mask. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'd probably greet that with skepticism and think it was a little distasteful. So, I maybe, maybe they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. But, you know, if you really think that, you should say it, is all I'm, is, is my sort of where I am at the end of this. Because I think this is a really good signing. I think he's a really good player. Um, maybe they shouldn't have done it when they did it. I don't know. Again, like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they saw evidence that was like, okay, yeah, no, we're comfortable signing this guy. But, you, you know, you can read between the lines and convince yourself it's fine. You can read between the lines and convince yourself that someone's just getting away with some shit again. We're never going to know, I think. I think Brian's right. Yeah. All right. Well, I think yeah. we covered that. I so guess. let's move on. Um, let's talk about actual players we can talk about. Um, Forrester is really tall. <laughs> I've seen some people complaining about the signing. I don't know. I feel like what club in the world is happy with their second with their backup keeper, uh, except for PSG. That's actually one area where PSG is fine. Um, I think he's tall and he does not burn a homegrown requirement. I, whatever else you want to say about Forrester, he probably helped keep Arsenal in the Champions League last year when they had like twenty nine shots on goal or whatever against them. I'm, I think it's an improvement on Galini. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have anything else to say about him, but I think he's an improvement on Bellini. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's actually good or anything, but like you said, he's homegrown, and again, I guess maybe I won't initially feel like he's a liability when we play him. I, I, you know, I haven't seen him play enough, you know, other than against Spurs, really, and he seems fine, I guess. Well, that's the thing. It's, yeah. He's homegrown. He's fine. He's tall. 
Like, what else do you want out of a backup keeper? I think we've just exhausted yeah. what we're going to say. You know, like, he was super hyped up when he was younger, and then he never really lived up to that. He lost his spot at Southampton a season ago, and then McCarthy got hurt, and he won it back and kept it. And, like, that speaks well of him, that he managed to keep the gloves um, after losing his spot. But, you know, he's not, never going to be more than a backup keeper for us. I think my only sure. sadness about Forrester is – we were linked with Sam Johnson, who's younger and has a possibility of, like, succeeding Hugo Lloris. Um, and so we still haven't solved that conundrum, but... Here's my else, thing. I, you know, you know where, grown, it's fine. You know where I want the successor Hugo Lloris playing first-team football every week, so I'm fine with that. Um, yeah, I think the thing about Hugo is, is just you keep playing him until he yes. either doesn't want to play for you anymore or is it, or, or just, like... At, is absolutely cooked. Like, just his knees are gone, can't jump, can't move. Like, I think that's kind of your succession plan because I think, largely speaking, goal, goalkeepers are plug-and-play. Um, you know, if you're a good goalkeeper, generally speaking, you're a good goalkeeper at the next place that you go. Um, they're less affected by tactics and systems and stuff like that than some of these other positions are. And so... You just kind of wait around until you have to spend twenty-five or thirty million on a goalkeeper, and, and yeah, you do it. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I mean, the way we committed to Hugo last year, it's like clearly our plan is ride until the wheels fall off, and we'll deal with it then. Yeah. Uh, so now we're moving into two players, or the last two players we're going to discuss are heavily linked with Spurs, and we are recording this on Monday night in America, so neither of them. Nope, it's now. Tuesday. Oh yeah, Tuesday. Tuesday. We had a holiday yesterday, so it's Tuesday. <laughs> Sorry about that. It is Tuesday night in America, uh, so we have We not spent been... Monday celebrating victory over Britain Day. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Fabrizio has not uh, here we go to either of these players, but it seems like at least the first one is definitely coming to Spurs, and that is uh, Clement Longley uh, from Barcelona. We talked about it a little bit last week. I, um, you know, as you may have heard, am a fan of Real Betis, Belampier. Uh, I have watched Longley when I watched La Liga. I am not impressed with him. I do not think he's very good. I think he makes a lot of mistakes at the back. I am willing to buy the narrative that Barcelona is a toxic shithole, and especially that given that Longley has not played well there, that the fans have jumped on his back, and it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy, kind of like what we saw with Kulishevsky. If Spurs want to bring him in as a backup, fine. Like, you know, how much worse can he be than Rodon or Roden, um, but sorry, uh, it's late and I've had some wine. Um, but uh, you know, I'm not in favor of this, even if you can like sh- like spell me out a narrative where it makes sense. Um, like obviously, you bring him to a club where he's not the sort of you know the donkey that everyone is you know just climbing on their back. Like he's a good passer. He's good. He's good on the ball. Like I can squint and see it, but I've watched him get cooked a lot when I watch La Liga. And I'm not super thrilled about this sign. Now, it is cheap. It is, an op- it is a loan with an option to buy. So, again, we're talking about semi-minimal risk here, but I don't know. This, this feels like doing Barca's laundry, and I'm not exactly thrilled about it. Like I said, even though I can squint and see the way this makes sense. Uh, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on him, but that's how I feel. I'll go first. I, I think the thing that 
frustrates me about Longley is just that we're in this situation where he's now the option. Um, and it, it's not really about him. I don't have any strong opinions about his time at Barcelona other than, you know, he didn't seem to play all that much. And when he did, he didn't seem that good. Um, he was pretty good at, at, at Sevilla. That's how he got that move. Um, I'm willing to be a little forgiving on the, I don't know, maybe Barcelona suck and uh and playing you know left center back or left side center back for them is uh um not an easy proposition and that uh you know in a conte system that turned non-center back ben davies into a pretty good left center back taking an actual left-sided center back seems like it might have a some level of success um you know uh, so so with him specifically it's fine if he's a rotation option with Davies. That's fine. Um, at this point, they're honestly probably six of one, half dozen of the other. And I don't know if that's a compliment to Davies or an insult to Longley. But you know, the frustrating part though is that this is where we are. Like it, 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 and you know, with the caveat that there's two months of the transfer window still to go and whatever. Like you know, the Bastoni deal has kind of gotten quiet. You know, we're not hearing any news about Bremer or Vardial or Indica or, or you know, Batashile or any of these other left-footed center backs that we've nominally been linked with. And I think, and, I think it's worth pointing out. It depends. If he's just depth, if he's replacing a Sanchez or a Rodan or whatever, it's it, it different. And, and we go get, like, a Bastoni or a Torres or whoever – I think that that's different than if this is the only yeah. other center back we're buying. And so, we don't, so, so I think right now, that. if you're asking me today on J- July the fifth, you know, how do I feel about this potential signing? If we sign no other center backs, then I'm pretty down on it. But like, if he's signed in addition to Bremer, anyone, <laughs> yeah, then I'm like, okay, this seems okay. You know, I, and then it also depends on you know outgoings and and all that sort of stuff. So so, it seems okay. It's not a lot of money. It's just a loan. Like, I don't know. It, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of Spurs fans I think are talking themselves about how great Dyer and Davis were last year, and we don't actually need to improve them because they were great. And Frankly, I feel like those people sound like the Arsenal fans who are, you know, lining up their depth next to Man City's and being like, see, we have the same team. Like, Davis and Dyer weren't, like, liabilities last season, but they're definitely the places we can reasonably upgrade. And while we're targeting signings for those positions, you'd like those signings to be upgrades and not guys who you wonder, are they going to be Ben Davis's backup or are they actually going to start? Um, so that's frustrating. I think... To make the case for Longley, um, you know, Ben Davis is not the strongest defender in the world, but the way we play has allowed him to be very good in that role. And the way Barcelona plays is not very forgiving to their center backs. They play a very loose midfield, you know, not a lot of strong tackling defensive presences ahead of them. Um, so these they've guys also are been, a lot. They've also and been like, a hot mess during that period. Just like a total yeah, yeah, yeah. disaster. So it's worth pointing that out, too. On and, and off the pitch. You know, from a tactical sense, is you can see a world where 
you know, a Basuma and whoever midfield offers Longley the protection he needs in playing in a back three where he has Dyer covering from him on one side and a wing back on the other, like he's not going to be as vulnerable and as exposed. Um, the thing that Longley does do well is pass the ball. And that's what we really ask our, our wide center backs to do is move the ball because our midfield is not like a high volume ball progressing place on our, on our team. You know, we want Ben Davis and Romero to make those passes between the lines. We want them to step up into midfield and keep passing and keep moving. And Longley can do those things. Um, and so it's possible we, you know, create an environment for him where he can just pass really well. And that's a huge asset to the team. Um, you know, his age profile sucks, but the rumors are, it's a loan. We're only covering a part of his wages, and there's like a 10 million pound option, not obligation to buy. Yeah. The, so, as of right now, that's been, the, that's been the reporting that it's a loan right. with so an option, but not an obligation to buy. So, But in the scenario where we do get the best out of him and make him into the kind of guy Barcelona paid money for because he was such a good passer and they want everybody on the field to pass the ball really well. Um, and we could get that guy who isn't a liability, and then we can buy him for ten million pounds. That's that's great business. Um, but there's a lot of steps yeah. from signing him to getting this guy for ten million pounds that we're excited about. It is. I worth, have no idea. It is worth pointing out that, that Longley looks extremely French. Like this is a man who definitely shares your opinion about Marvel movies, Ben. I mean, this is this is a man who definitely likes Leon the Professional for all the wrong reasons. It's. It's he's, he looks. I, I don't think Hugo looks no. half as French as him. So, is that a pro or a con, Greg? That's a con. That's a well. I guess for Bits it's a pro. For you know, for Eric Dyer it's a pro because now he has someone to talk about French New Wave cinema with. And uh, for the rest of us, I don't know. We're probably never going to talk about movies with him. So I guess it's a it's a it's a con if we ever have to talk to him unless it's you and you. But he probably thinks. Uh, the Criterion Collection is a tool of the bourgeoisie, of the, the, the bourgeoisie. so uh, you, you probably wouldn't like him either, Ben. Um, but yeah, uh, moving on, we have one final transfer to talk about. Again, not confirmed. This one's been like about to be done for like, I don't know, four weeks it feels like, which is Jed Spence out of, I, I guess, Middlesbrough, but really Nottingham Forest. Um, it's all the reporting seems to be that Forrest is trying to fuck us around, or sorry, that Burrow is trying to fuck us around on fees. He seems to really want to come to Spurs, which is, which recommends him. I, I'm going to be a hundred percent honest. I know we've said this before. I really only watched him in the promotion playoff game where I know he was coming off an injury. It wasn't his best game. Uh, if you wanted to flip that around, I know a lot of Spurs fans are very positive about the game where he just absolutely abused Arsenal in the FA cup. Um, I know a lot of the nerds we talk to in our writer's room aren't very big fans of Jed Spence. Uh, they don't think the numbers pop in the way they ought to. Uh, I talked to Wendy uh, from The Extra Inch about this a couple weeks ago, and he was mentioning to me that one of the big positives on Spence is, or he mentioned on his podcast that one of the big positive, positive about Spence is that he can move the ball forward, but he, he said to me that sort of 1v1 is really impressive and would instantly make him an asset to Spurs. So... I think there's a lot to be... I understand why people dream on him. I'm a little perplexed why with Conte's sort of... Ben, going back to what you were saying last week, Conte's sort of win-now 
approach. I'm a little perplexed he's going for him, but also if Conte thinks he can see a guy and turn him into a elite wing back, I'm kind of inclined to give him what he wants. Um, I don't entirely see it, although I do get why a team might want to bet on this guy with his sort of his physical skills and what he's been able to accomplish at his age. He seems fun. Um, I think he needs a little bit more seasoning. I'm a little surprised Conte wants to give it to him. But I, that's sort of how I feel about Spence. Yeah, I, I just don't care about this kid. Well, he but might be I, one of our it, two starting right backs, so you might want to care about him real soon. Yeah, and I mean, you know, look, and, and you know, the same caveats that you put out, I don't. I've really not seen him play other than in the the promotion uh, playoffs and uh, and then in that the clips from that Arsenal game. And I don't know. He he seems okay. He's a big kid. He's pretty quick. He's a pretty good dribbler. I, I don't know that he's anywhere close to Spurs level or you know even being like a reasonable contributor for for the Spurs team. Um, look, he makes sense in the fact that he is homegrown, that he has some potential, um, and we now have the ability to make five substitutes in a game. So you can reasonably get him minutes if you were so inclined. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I It's just like it's annoying because we knew that right back was like a big, weakness for us or was an area that we like Ben said we could definitely improve upon and while he feels like someone who could potentially be a really good right back I don't think right now this second he's better than either of the right backs we have and I, I just there's been no other links to any other right backs and so like it's very clear that Jed Spence is our right back option or, 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 you know, is the extent of how far we're, we're going seem, down our list at this point. We seem pretty confident, and by we I mean the club, seems pretty confident it's going to happen. Yeah, so it's just like, this. that's it? That's the option we came up with? Like, you know, a guy whose who's level, you know, as of right now, what he's played is the championship. And, you know, maybe he's capable of taking a step up, and that's great. And, you know, I'll be very happy if he turns out to be really good, but like, uh, there, there's not somebody else out there anywhere. You know, it's I the think... only way. Go ahead, Ben. I was say the only way this makes sense is if like Conte just loves Matt Doherty and thinks he's great, and his injury wasn't that big a deal, and we aren't going to rely on Jed for our starting right back role for the league, Champions League cups, and whatever. Like he's not the guy. He has time to become better um, and turn his raw tools into a more complete player um, because if not you know we're betting on an old Matt Doherty coming off an injury and an old Perisic as our wing backs and just hoping that the two very young raw players behind them don't have to play too much and that's not a great situation to be in. I mean it's is there any position on the field you trust Conte more than with wingbacks? Like, I mean, that, that's where I sort of come. I, I am perplexed. This is the guy that Conte has found, like, yeah, no, I want him to be one of my two right backs this year. But I'm assuming we're only going to have two right backs this year. But, you know, it's on the one hand, it's like he doesn't seem like the guy that Conte would pick. On the other hand, like, 
you know, if Conte's like, yeah, no, him, he's good, he's fine. Like, all right, you know, like, God bless Antonio. Like, you know, if there's any position on the field I trust him at, it's that position. Yeah, I mean, yeah. true. And we're buying young, like, we're buying, we talk about how we weren't buying some of these players. He's young, he's got a lot of potential. Like, you know, we're getting a guy who's, you know, got a lot of upside. Who, in theory, can yeah. do the things we want out of a wingback. Maybe not, you know, we're looking at this level, we're a little suspicious he can do it at the level we require it at. But the things, the qualities we want out of a wingback, you know, he he has them. It's just how I guess, good is he at it. I guess one of the things for me is, and I'm going to use this example because this is the example that's top of mind because I'm an American homer. Uh, Serginio Dest exists, right? And Barcelona need money. Um, and I'm not saying that Dest is a good, like an amazing player or a complete player, but Dest has a very specific skill, and that is, you know, creating attacking opportunities and being a threat in the final third. And that one specific skill, he does those things better than all of our wingbacks, um, with the exception of Perisic. Um, and so you look at him, and you go, okay, so he has a he has a thing that we could use, um, whether that's in rotation or whatever. Like he has one skill that is elite in terms of his position. And Jed, you're just doing a lot of projection, and because what the actual numbers and what the actual output and results are is actually pretty unremarkable. You know, I, I don't know if unremarkable is... I think unremarkable is a little too strong. I think it's just... You look at him and you think, is he ready to play in the Champions League? And I think that's where I got some skepticism. If he told me he was going to be ready to play in the Champions League in like two or three years, I'd be like, all right, yeah, I can see that. He just seems like he's pretty raw. Now, again, like, learn under Conte, not bad. Like, you know, honestly, not really the worst situation in the world. It just seems a bit strange to me, and I want to preface all of the, or not preface because we talked about it, but I want to accompany all this with the caveat that, like, I'm not going to pretend to have watched a lot of Forest games this year, I'm not going to pretend to be super familiar with them, we're working off a low sample size and what we've seen in his numbers. Again, I, I see, I see where there's something to dream on here. I am just, again, this goes back to what we talked about last week with Ben, it's, it's, if we're in this win now mode, I can talk myself into how all these other signings have something to do with right now or how they can pay off in the short term. He seems like someone who I, maybe he could. Like, I think that's not unreasonable. I wouldn't be shocked if he had a very good year with us next year. But... Right. You're not buying. He's not a sure thing for next season. He doesn't look like, oh man, this kid's like ready to explode. You know, like even Dest, who I don't think is a million miles away from Spence, is at least like, like you said, Brian, he has that one like oh boy, he's fast as shit and can get the ball up the pitch and has done it at Barcelona. Like, Right, that's it. we know he's done it at Barcelona, we've done it at the Champions League, he's done it at a high level where what Dest has done or what Spence has done in the championship is, you have no, like, Sessegnon was a fucking world beater in the championship, way better than Spence. And we've seen Sessegnon at Spurs, like, show some promise. But Sessegnon and Spurs, like, the flip side of that is, Ben, Sessegnon and Spurs walked into, like, the hellmouth of managerial turnover. So, 
I mean, whatever. Even last season under Conte, like, he, like, took steps, but he wasn't like, oh, yeah, he's our guy for for now and forever. Like, we bought Perisic, you know. I think it's asking a lot of a guy from the championship who was, like, pretty good to come in and be our guy in a position where that's where we really should be making a star signing. And, like, you know, people have pointed out angrily to me on Twitter that there's not a huge market of of right backs who are stars who we could buy. You know, it's a tough position right now. Um, you know, I think that's all fair. I think, you know, we also seem to have entertained Anthony Gordon from Everton um, seemingly to play right wing back. But, like, I'm not saying he's better, but, like, I'm not just beating this drum because I'm a pervert, but you can always buy a winger and turn him into a wing back. Like, <laughs> you're definitely like, being a pervert, Ben. Let's be very clear what you're doing here. Like that's what Perisic is. You're like a, you're like a Frenchman confronted with a with Leon the professional. Yeah. You just can't help yourself. I mean, look, I am not going to sit here and have Antonio Conte as my manager and not get that experience. <laughs> that's, um, but like that's no, you know, a wing back is a, a in between guy between a, a winger and a fullback and. And just as much as it's a, a lift to make a guy like Emerson Royale a viable wingback, it's a similar kind of problem, you know, when you're taking a winger and turning him into a wingback. Like, they're not meaningfully harder or easier. It's like if you have the tools to move the ball down the wing and work hard in defense, wherever you're playing on that side, like, you can be a credible wingback. I understand why we're in for Spence. I'm just a little perplexed that we're doing it when we're in this kind of kind of win-now mode. I mean, it's good. We're buying a young player with a lot of potential. I mean, his tweet at um, Warnock was amazing. Like, I think he's a fun kid. I think there's a lot to like about him. It's just expecting that to pay off immediately is a little... I- I'm surprised we're doing it. I hope it works out because he, he is the kind of kid you want to root for. Um, if only to stick it to Neil Warnock, who sucks. So... Um, so yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it this week. Um, I'm not sure exactly what our schedule is going to be, but we will uh, follow our Twitter account at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in we do the radio, and you can find updates on when we will podcast or subscribe to our feed on uh, Spotify or iTunes, and also find them there. Leave us five star reviews while you're at it. Um, yeah, so we'll be back this summer. Um, we'll be back uh, before uh, this window's over. Uh, ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Spurs. And Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. And uh, just for fun reminder, guys, season starts in like a month. Brian, very important. We're going to see uh, just how much, I think for your brand, it's very important to see if Brian Heal has that dog in him and uh, got on cycle uh, in the off season. He, he does not. <laughs> I don't know. I hope Brian Heal, like, you know, I hope, you know, Sar and Heel, like, I hope, you know, they went and hung out at Fulham where their owner could direct them to some good steroids uh, from their professional, re- from his professional wrestling uh, company, you know, you know, put on some muscle Probably and they can maybe solve some problems for us. Yep, that or alone to Germany, either, either one, <laughs> totally fine. They could hang out with, like, the women's, oh, like, yeah. water polo team and, like, bulk up or something like that in Germany, is that what you're saying? No, <laughs> I wasn't talking about water polo at all. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Bits aside, 
we did forget to talk about all of our like a new signing returning players, like uh, Sar and like Tongi and Dombele. I think if and we're going to talk like... about Dombele, you have to subscribe to our Patreon's kebab tier. So I think that's not going to happen on the podcast tonight. Uh, but yes, if it looks like I, I don't know, we should take final bets before before I regale everyone my Twitter uh, handle. Uh, do we think uh, Indomale and uh, Lacelso are going to be on the preseason tour in Korea? Because I don't think they are. Yeah, I think they'll be there. I mean, I think if they're there, it's because nobody wanted to buy them, not because <laughs> like we saw something in them. And we're like, yeah, we're going to do this. Well, we shall see. Maybe we do. We can do. We can do an emergency in Domile podcast, Ben. How about one, one Maybe last he one could for play you. right wing back. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Nothing. Uh, nothing. No position really strikes me as better for Domile than one that requires a lot of energy and industry. You know, that, that really, that really seems like the place for him to play. If anybody can cover for him, it's it's Romero. <laughs> We're really going to put him to the test. Going to see how far those hamstrings will stretch. On that note, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow. Uh, for others. And uh, I don't know what that end was there. Uh, come on, you Spurs. What? what have you never done this before? What? I don't know what that was. I don't know what that was, guys. We, we podcast how much wine did you have? I don't know. I had like two and a half glasses of wine. It's been an hour and 20 minute podcast. If you have listened this far, tweet us and we will read your name. Oh, you didn't we end it? No, we're recording, baby. Why is this not done? It's live. The red light is oh, on. Brooks has it cried. Oh, my God. My son is <laughs> this better come out in post. Oh, it's not. All right. Come on. Why, would you, why would you edit? <laughs>